Father God, I just thank you for this morning. Thank you for this message and uh, the groups that have been going on. Thank you for our leaders and hosts and the awesome job that they're doing for the the videos and and more importantly for the discussion and the fellowship that's taking place afterwards, Lord, and uh, that we are helping each other grow, that we are encountering different parts of the body maybe that we'd never met before, that we're in groups together with people we don't spend a lot of time with. Uh, We're having dinner with people we've never met and uh, and we're really getting to know each other, Lord, and that's amazing. And uh, it's incredible how you are using... Uh, each and every one of us to help the others grow. And Father, I would pray that that would just continue and grow and and uh, just be nurtured in this community, that we would continue to engage with each other, uh, to realize that uh, we need each other in order to become more mature and more Christ-like. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, uh, how we help each other grow, and uh, this is the part we got two more after this, and then we'll be into our, our final sort of wrap-up session. Um, but the, the verse this morning that I want to start out with is Romans 8:29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And that's the idea behind this, that God intends that Jesus is sort of the eldest brother and we are all his brothers and sisters, and that we are to become like our older brother, that Jesus is going to be the firstborn uh, of the perfected um, people that God is calling, and uh, that we are to become more and more like Christ. And so while we're here on earth, God wants us to get ready for heaven, and he wants us to grow in character. He wants us to grow spiritually. And uh, we're, and we're looking at how do I grow spiritually? How, more importantly, do I grow spiritually? Because there's lots of different ways we could go with that. But most specifically, how do I grow spiritually together? Because this is 40 days of community. And so how do I grow spiritually together? How do we do it together? How do we help each other grow? And the Bible teaches that we can't grow on our own, that we have to have other people in our life. And that's why we talk about being involved at church or being connected to a small group or being close to at least one really good Christian friend because you are not going to grow spiritually very well on your own. Uh, God never intended that you were going to come to Christ and be baptized and then just be on your own, you know, just you and your Bible and the Holy Spirit working it out. And that's good, and you should have your Bible, and the Holy Spirit will help you grow, but God intends much more than that. He intends the richness of community. He intends for us to be engaged with each other to grow in a small group and otherwise. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, he says, encourage each other and build each other up. And that's what we're going to talk about. Encouraging each other implies that there's another there to encourage. And so in 40 days of community, it's, it's learning how to do that, how to love each other and how to encourage each other. And one of the most loving things that we can do is help that other person grow. If you're a parent and you have kids and you love your kids, what you want to see for your kids is them grow, right? You want to see your kids grow, not just physically, but in maturity. And so because you love your kids, you want to see them grow and you want to see them learn. And because we love each other, one of the most loving things that we can desire for each other is to see each other grow. If I, you know, really love Robert, I want to see Robert growing in his walk with Christ. If I, you know, really love Bill, I want to see Bill growing in his walk with Christ. Because I love him, I want to see him grow. And so one of the most loving things we can do is help each other grow. That's why I'm here. I love to teach the Word of God and I love to see people grow. And so God, you know, moved my passions in such a way that I could help people grow this way. So when I'm up here, you know, trying to hold your attention for... 40 minutes. Uh, it's because I love you. You may not think it's very loving when I'm up here, but this is me expressing love to you. Uh, when Wendy is teaching her precept classes, 
Wendy teaches precept classes because she loves to see people grow. We love, we desire to see people grow. It's how we express our love. And so teaching is just one specific way of how people help grow. That's, that's how Wendy and I do it. And not everybody's a teacher, uh, in the sense that you might say that Wendy and I are teachers, but, but God says that love is the motivation that wants others to grow. And that the way that we love each other and help them grow is also through love. Okay, do you get that? So, so because we're parents, we love our children, and because we love our children, we want to see them grow. So it's the motivation to want to see other people grow is love. But what I want to talk about today, and what, you'll, what you're learning in your small group, is that love is also how people grow. So love is the motivation to see people grow, and teaching is one thing, but love is also how people grow. We help people grow by showing love to them, and there's a few key ways that we'll touch on this morning. The first way is that we help people grow by showing our love, by affirming each other's worth. This will help people grow. There's a little secret, if you haven't figured this out yet in life, is that everybody's looking for affirmation. Everybody is looking to be affirmed. People will do almost anything to get affirmation. I mean, if you don't believe this, just watch some of the reality shows on TV, right? People will go on TV and eat bugs and eat worms and live in the desert and walk around naked and, you know, do all these different things because they want the affirmation of the audience. They are trying to get in front of cameras and in front of people and have people affirm them. They want to win the series. They want they want, they want people uh, to know who they are. They want people to applaud them. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll do whatever uh, in order to have people applaud them. And it, it can get fairly ridiculous. And so there's this desire in people to be affirmed by others. And so when you and I affirm other people, we're doing some incredible things. We're showing love and we're ministering like Jesus ministered. We don't want to affirm people the way necessarily reality TV affirms people. We want to affirm people in the right way. We want to explain to them their worth because they're made in the image of God, because God loves them, because they're worth as much as Jesus would die for them. So we're affirming them for the right reason, and we're representing God when we do that. God is an incredibly affirming and loving Father. And so when we affirm, we're showing the world a little bit more about what God is like. Because God affirmed the world by sending his son to die for the world. If that's not affirmation of the value of us as a species, (laughs) that God would send his own son in order to die on our behalf, that's affirmation. And when Christ comes into our life and we receive the Holy Spirit, God begins that work of affirming who we are made in his image, that he intends good things for us, that he has a plan for us, an eternity in heaven, that he has set all these things in motion, that he knew us before the foundation of the world. That all these things that God says, promises in his word, are all to affirm us. God is very affirming. And so one of the first things we can do to show love and to help people grow is simply to join God in affirming others. So how do I do this? How do I affirm people? How do I make choices to affirm people in everyday life so I can help them grow in the church? First of all, you do it by showing acceptance. With acceptance, you're doing what the Bible says in Romans 15, 7. It says, accept one another's just as Christ accepted you. So Jesus died to provide a way for the whole world to know God, and he didn't just die for people who seemed to have it together. He didn't just die for people with a decent education or who grew up with the benefit of a stable family life. He didn't just die for people who can hold down jobs or who have avoided any sort of messiness in their life. In fact, Jesus died for everyone, and he had to constantly remind the religious people who seemed to have it all together, the Pharisees, he was constantly reminded those people that they didn't have the monopoly on being good people. In fact, just the opposite, the pride of those people who seemed to have it all together and those religious people who thought they had the 
moral authority were in the most dangerous position. And Jesus had to teach them just the opposite, that they're proud and counting their own sin as being insignificant or that they didn't have sin and that other people's more visible and messy lives uh, were somehow worse. That put them on dangerous ground with Jesus. He said, you people that seem to have it all together, you religious people that have money and can hold down a job and have all the Bible memorized and all that stuff, you are in trouble. In fact, he said, I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. And then he says to them later on after that, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And so we need to set aside the notion that other people are less acceptable than ourselves and show them love simply by showing them acceptance. You know, we have to accept everybody, no matter how messy their life is, no matter what they've done in the past, no matter whether they've got it all together or they don't have it all together. Jesus died for everyone to accept everyone. And he was most critical of the people that seemed to have it all together. And he was most loving of the people that were the most broken. James, uh, the James of the book of James in the Bible, James is the brother of Jesus. And he, so he knows a bit about how Jesus feels about people, you can imagine, growing up with them. And so if you want some inside information, you can always trust James in terms of how Jesus is thinking. And in James 2, 1 to 4, he says, How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, You can stand over here or I'll sit on the floor, Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? And in Romans 14.10, he says, Paul sums it up this way, why do you look down on another Christian? Remember, each of us will stand personally before the judgment seat of God. And so the point of these verses is, is that we need to accept one another. That the idea to show the love of God and to reflect God and to help other people grow is to start with just accepting them. People will not grow if they're not accepted, if they don't feel welcomed, if they're not affirmed in who they are. And the truth of the matter is that God lifts us up. He affirms us. And so if God lifts us up and he affirms us, then who am I to put down somebody else? We have to accept everybody and show acceptance to everybody. And that means practically like this, approach them, talk to them, invite them for dinner, include them in your conversations, invite them to join in your evenings out or your trips to the city. Show acceptance is not just tolerating a certain person sitting across from the aisle from you, you know, or sitting in, in the seat next to you and feeling pretty special, you know, that, that our church is a church that accepts people like that. You know, that's not accepting people. To just sit here and say, oh, it's so great that those people can come to our church. No, accepting people is to invite them into your life. When you go to Peterborough or you go into town, bring them into town with you. When you're having an evening out with your friend, invite them to come out with your friends. Accept them into your life. Acceptance is engaging your life with theirs. The second way that you show your love and helping each other grow and flourish is by showing attention. And that takes more than just acceptance. It takes more than just, yeah, I accept everybody and they have problems and I don't judge anybody. I accept them. But then you have to show attention. And that's what I was just talking about, that it takes time to show people attention. You can accept somebody and still ignore them. You can still disregard people. You can overlook them. But the Bible says in Galatians 6.10, give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. Why do they get special attention? Well, it's one of the benefits of being in a church. It's what we've been talking about all this time. One of the benefits of being in a church is that you do get special attention. 
because you have other brothers and sisters all around you who love you and they accept you and they've gone through the same brokenness and they've gone through the same hurt that you have. And so they not only accept you, but they give you attention and you get special attention by being part of a church, you know, because whatever you pay attention to is going to grow. If I pay attention to my garden, it's going to grow. If I pay attention to my kids, they're going to grow. If I pay attention to my marriage, it's going to grow and get better. If I pay attention to my work, it's going to grow. If I pay attention to apple pie, my stomach grows. It happens every time. But the principle is clear. As we pay attention to things, they grow. You know, you give attention to a plant, it will grow. You give attention to your children, they grow. You give attention to your work, it grows and expands. You know, anybody in sales knows that. You pay attention to your sales calls, they grow, right? As you give attention to things, they grow. And so in the church, we are to take time to give people attention. If we are a church full of people who don't pay attention to each other, we will all wither and we will wilt. We have to give each other attention in order to help them grow. And so when you're talking to somebody, if, however it helps you to think of it, if you want to think of somebody as a plant, and so you're talking to them and you're thinking, I'm talking to this plant and I'm watering it and I'm nurturing it and I'm you know, stirring up the soil and I'm giving it attention and I'm helping them grow and, and blossom. You know, you can think about it that way. However you want to think about it, think about your brothers and sisters in this church and as we give attention, we help each other grow. And a lot of guys, we just don't get this. A lot, of, a lot of men say, I don't understand. You know, I provide everything my family needs. I give my wife everything she needs. I provide for my kids with everything they need. What more do they want? Well, guys, what they want is they want your attention. Your family wants your attention. Your kids want your attention, right? It's not just providing the things that they need, but it's their attention, that they, they spend time with you, that you're, they're important to them. Nothing can compensate for attention, right? People don't need things. Uh, they don't need... Um, anything else as much as they need attention. And so marriages need time and friendships need time and groups need time. Our small group needs our attention. Showing up on time, listening to people when they, when they speak, asking them about their lives, um, being more interested in them than in yourself. Remember, we talked about selflessness last week. Selflessness is simple. It's just less of yourself and more of others. Well, that's part of attention. You know, just caring less about what we think, less about what we like, less about what our stories are, and more about other people's stories. That's attention. And so we've talked about margin in our life and things like that. We have to create more margin and more spare time so that we are available for high-priority relationships and so that we can give people attention, give special attention to each other, Paul says in Galatians. And if you get a chance, help them when you're spending time with them. And he even says, and if you do that in Galatians 6, 2, you'll be accomplishing the law of Christ. And so giving people attention is important. Thirdly, you help them grow by showing appreciation. We affirm each other's worth with appreciation. Appreciation means to raise in value. If you bought a cottage maybe uh, 20 or 30 years ago on the Lake of Bays, uh, you'll understand what appreciation is. Or maybe you were lucky enough to inherit some lakefront property in Muskoka. You understand what appreciation is. If you've recently bought a car or a laptop, you understand what depreciation is. Um, (laughs) Appreciation means literally it's going up in value, right? That lakefront property just keeps going up in value. Those cars just keep dropping in value. That computer you bought, you will never get the money back for it. Um, So depreciation is decreasing. And so by appreciating each other, you raise the value of others. You know, when you appreciate your wife, you raise her value. When you appreciate your husband, you, you raise their value. When you appreciate your kids, you raise their value. And when you appreciate your small group or you appreciate your brothers and sisters in Christ that are around you, 
you raise their value. And everybody enjoys having their value increased, right? Like nobody wants to go through life saying, gee, it'd be great to be worth less to people. It'd be great to be less valuable. Everybody wants to be appreciated. Everybody wants to appreciate in value and be more valuable. And so as we appreciate people, we increase their value. In 1 Thessalonians 5.12, it says, Brothers and sisters, appreciate those who work hard among you, who led you in the Lord and who teach you. And so what he's saying here is, look, these are the brothers and sisters who are doing the most important thing in your life. The people around you in church who are working in ministry and who are teaching and are looking after your kids in Sunday school and who are taking care of things in the nursery and organizing small groups and hosting them, these people that are working in ministry, these people that are around you in your life at church, they are doing the most valuable thing for you they can do, which is helping you grow in Christ. And so appreciate them. Appreciate the value of them. Because they're appreciating your value by wanting you to grow. They want you to have these opportunities to serve. They want you to have these opportunities to get together with other brothers and sisters and to rub shoulders. And they want your kids to learn about God and Jesus. And so they're doing this to appreciate your value. And so he says, brothers and sisters, appreciate those who work hard, who led you in the Lord and who are teaching you. And so today when this service is over and before you leave, it would be neat if you could find just one person to appreciate before you go. You know, before you sort of bolt out the door, uh, heading for lunch, you know, just grab one person, a Sunday school teacher, when you go down to get your kids, just shake their hands, look them in the eye and say, you know what, I appreciate you. You know, thank you for looking after my kids. Thank you for loving them. Thank you for teaching them about Jesus today. You know, just appreciate them. Thank the musicians, you know. You can find people to express appreciation to, the nursery people. Or, you know, this week, your host, when you go to your small group, thank your host for, for opening up their home, you know. Uh, buy them a new TV or something. I don't know, but um, I'm just kidding. You don't have to buy a new TV, but don't stop yourself from being extravagant. You know, like just go overboard with each other. You know, be extravagant in your appreciation of each other. Appreciate your host and tell them how much you love them and how much you appreciate that. And so let me appreciate you. And uh, like, this is an amazing church. This is me appreciating you. This is an amazing church in Halliburton. Lakeside has a legacy of care for the people in this community. And our doors have been open to everyone. We have Friday night dinners, the shepherd's table that serves anyone who doesn't have a dinner. And we have this thriving women's ministry on Wednesdays with people from every church around and from outside churches. And when I stand up here with some crazy idea to get a message out to 5,000 homes, you guys all jump on board with this crazy idea. And the church raises up the dollars and you hit the street and you make it happen with door hangers and everything else and if we ask for one water purifier to be bought excuse me and shipped to the and installed in the philippines for disaster relief you guys send three water purifiers not just one and you support the four c's and the pregnancy care center and our missions partners and so much more this is lakeside church and i appreciate you guys this is the church where reconciliation and the hard work of forgiveness is getting done and you do it And this is a church that I can brag about with anyone because this is a church that wants to grow. You're eager to learn. You're taking the CDs and you're downloading the podcasts and you're you're wanting to learn and eager to have other people learn about the word of God. And you want to tell the good news of Jesus to others and glorify God. You are an amazing group of people. It's a great church. And so let me just appreciate you in in that, that we are doing so much good things and there's so much good happening among you as a people of God. And maturity is more than just head knowledge. A person can all have all kinds of Bible knowledge, but if they're not putting it into action, if they're not active, if they're not doing what it is the purpose of God, which is to worship and grow and evangelize and share and minister, that's what maturity is about. 
And you guys are doing that. You're putting what you know about Jesus and what you learn about the word of God and you're putting it into action in your lives and in your marriages and in your relationships and in the community. I see it. I literally see it every single week that you're doing it. And those are the ways that we help each other grow by affirming each other's worth in those ways. And you guys are doing an awesome job at that. And another way that we can help each other grow is by praying for each other's growth. So all those first three there were all about affirming and uh, each other. And now we can pray for each other's growth. And how do we pray each other? By doing what this guy, Epaphras, does in Colossians 4.12. Paul wrote, Epaphras always prays for you that you will grow to be spiritually mature. Now that guy is cool. I don't know about you, but about your prayers and, and, and how you pray, but sometimes prayer is hard for, hard for me. You'd think it would come naturally, uh, but it doesn't always come naturally for me. Um, prayer is something that I work really hard at, that I cultivate in my life, and I have to set aside time for prayer, and I think it's that way for most people. And so it impresses me that this guy, Epaphras, always prays and that he prays that people will grow spiritually mature. He prays for people's spiritual growth. And I think sometimes I miss that. I mean, I think it's sort of bound up in the things I pray about when I pray for people, but I don't specifically necessarily think of praying for their spiritual growth. And he says here that Epaphras prays that they will grow to be spiritually mature. And I pray for people's needs. I pray for their health needs and financial needs. We pray for all of that stuff, but I don't always pray for their spiritual growth. And I need to get in that habit. This has reminded me. But fortunately, the Bible is filled with verses about how to pray for somebody to grow spiritually, right? So if you're thinking, okay, that's a good idea to help people grow spiritually, to pray for that, but then how do I do it? The Bible's full of verses that we can pray from the Bible specifically to help people grow spiritually. And you can spend just a few minutes doing what these verses say, that there's people in your life that you'd like to pray for their spiritual growth. You can look to these verses in your, in your private prayer time or with your praying in your small group and pray these verses for people's spiritual growth. And the first one, and I'm just going to run through them quickly. The first one is from Ephesians 3:18 and 19, an example of praying for spiritual growth. Who could you pray this for? I pray that you will be able to feel and understand how long, wide, deep, and high Christ's love really is and to experience this love for yourself. Like who do you know that you could pray that prayer for? Write out a scripture. To, to think of somebody and pray Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, to pray for each other that they would know how wide and deep and excessive and amazing the love of God is. That's a prayer for people's spiritual maturity. Or Hebrews 13, 21, you could pray this for somebody. I pray that you will always be eager to do what is right, right? I'm not going to say anything about parenthood. Um, <laughs> I think I just did. But I mean, we could pray that all the time for our kids, right? Do we not want for our kids that they would always know what is right? That you could pray that. Hebrews 13, that's the writer of Hebrews is saying, I pray that you will always be eager to do what is right. And that, that pray that people would have a desire to do what's right, that God would give them integrity to pray that for them. That's spiritual growth. Or Romans 15, 13, I pray God who gives hope will fill you with much joy and peace while you trust in him. Do you know anybody who needs some hope in their life? Right? Do you need any, anybody who needs to grow in hope in their spiritual walk? You can pray that. You can pray that, that they would have hope. Right out of Romans 15, 13, pray for people that they would have more hope, that they would be filled with joy and trust in God. Say, God, I know somebody who needs hope, and then pray that for them. 
or Ephesians 1, 16 to 17. I pray God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wow, does anybody need any wisdom? Does anybody need any revelation? Does anybody need to grow in the area of wisdom and spiritual maturity? I think we all do, right? Solomon was the wisest guy on the planet, and even he needed a little more wisdom at the end. <laughs> you know. So if Solomon didn't have it all, we certainly don't have it all. We need to pray for wisdom to know how to react in relationships and, and to make decisions. So you can pray that for people right out of Scripture. Praying Scripture back to God, you can't go wrong. He wrote it. He loves it. Thessalonians 3, 5, I pray the Lord will guide you to be as loving as God and as patient as Christ. There's an awesome prayer, right? That you're as loving as God and as patient as Christ. Anybody got that nailed down yet? As loving as God and as patient as Christ? You can pray that one for me anytime you want. Um, you know, first, so 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, these are prayers that Paul is praying for the church, you know, or who doesn't know somebody that's feeling overwhelmed by life? You know, who do you know that maybe doesn't feel like they're going to make it or feels like they're having to do everything on their own energy or their own power? If they feel that way, then pray for them. Ephesians 3:16. I pray that God may strengthen you with the power through his spirit. So you bring that person's name to mind and you pray that prayer just as Paul prayed it, that they would be strengthened through the Holy Spirit. And so we can pray for each other. And so all of those examples are just sort of individually, a lot of individual examples. And there's power in praying that, but there's more power when we pray together. And so I encourage you in your small groups to be praying for each other together, to be praying for each other's spiritual growth. And there's opportunities here at church for corporate prayer together. You know, some are ongoing every week and others are sort of come and go as the need arises. We had corporate prayer among all the churches for finding the hope. And there were three nights of prayer for that. And then we had three corporate prayer times over that two months. And we have prayer here every 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. If you come early at 9 a.m., we're in the library and we pray every morning. Uh, There's half a dozen of us or so that are praying for the church service and everyone who's serving and everybody who's coming are prayed for. And guys, we have a prayer time every Wednesday morning at eight o'clock. Anybody who's driving through town on their way to work, eight o'clock, 20 minutes, just stop in and, and pray. And we pray every week for the men of the church and their families. I think we maybe missed two weeks, did we, Bill? And some of the other guys, Jim, we maybe 50 out of 52 weeks we're here praying on a Wednesday morning. So there's prayer. There's opportunities to pray together. And there's prayer at WOW for the women and other places as well. But the encouragement here is that we pray for each other for spiritual growth. If we want to help each other grow, if we really love each other and we want each other to grow, we need to be praying for each other. All of these prayers that I mentioned and many more. Get connected and pray for each other. You know, And it seems weird. Uh, it's one of those things that isn't very flashy and it, and it sounds boring. But just praying together has such power to change lives and to change your own lives, not, not only the life of the people you're praying for, but it'll change your heart and li- your life as well. And so as a church, we want to commit to regular corporate prayer time and pray for each other in groups. And, and there's just a rising power as the Spirit confirms your desires before the Father and you grow. There's a rising power as the Spirit uses prayer to actually an- to answer things, and, and there's a faith that grows from that. And prayer, I can honestly say, is one of my favorite things when I can get people together to do it. It's one of the things when, I, when I'm before prayer and I look at it, I think, oh, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to get up and go there, and I'm going to go there, and it's going to be awkward. And, you know, I pray. I already prayed this morning, and I don't really want to go there. And then it's one of those things where then when you actually get there and you go and you pray together and you have all these guys around you and you're praying together, and then you think, why did I ever think I didn't want to be here? This was the most amazing morning. How else could I have spent my morning other than in prayer? It was awesome. 
right? And it'll be the same thing for your small group. You'll, it'll be snowing outside, and you're like, I don't really want to go to a small group, and we're going to get together, and somebody's going to make me pray, and I'm going to be awkward. But then you get there, and you pray, and you really share your life with somebody, and they pray for a need of yours, and you feel the Holy Spirit there, and you think, why was I doubting coming to this? Prayer was so good. And so I encourage you, I'm just, I'm really doing a sell job on prayer here because <laughs> it is, it is the greatest thing when you actually get yourself into that group to pray together. It's fantastic. And you realize afterwards, there's no better place you could have been than in that group praying. And I see a lot of you nodding your heads. You know what I'm talking about. So prayer, pray for each other's spiritual growth. A church that prays together grows together. And a final way that we grow is the third way is admitting our mistakes, by admitting our mistakes, we build community. And this is how we affirm each other and love each other. Let me get to that. Is by admitting our mistakes, we build community and we build intimacy and we love each other and help each other grow through admitting our mistakes. There's no faster way to build closeness in a relationship than to admit mistakes to each other. You know, you get beyond, hi, how's it going? How's the weather? How about those leaves? You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, your relationship is on some level, but then there's conflict or something comes up or there's disagreement or, or, or you screwed up really badly and, and it may be somebody you don't know that well. And when you go and you work something out and admit your mistake to somebody and there's forgiveness, boy, that relationship goes to a whole other level, doesn't it? Right? And so when, you can admit our, when we admit our mistakes to each other, when we're just transparent and honest before each other, then our relationships grow and we help each other grow. Ephesians 4.25 says, Tell each other the truth because we all belong to each other. Tell the truth about yourself. Tell the truth about your fears and your doubts and your hang-ups and confess and admit your mistakes. Confession doesn't mean confessing your deepest, darkest sins necessarily. Confession just means admitting what's going on in your life. You know, I have doubts today. You know, or I'm struggling today. Or I'm in a valley you know, or confessing that I'm on a mountain. Sometimes you have to confess, you know what, everything's going great. That's my confession. God's been so good to me. I'm just confessing that, you know, but confessing is just sharing where you're at. That's confession. You know, I'm feeling lonely. That's a confession. I'm having a hard time forgiving my parents. That's a confession. I don't know why, but I just feel depressed. I feel discouraged today. That's a confession. When we confess and we tell the truth to each other, not just how about those leaves, you know, when we confess and tell the truth to each other, we help each other grow. When we're honest about what's going on in our life, we help each other grow. Why would you want to do that? How does it help us grow? It leads to healing and it leads to emotional growth. In James 5:16, it says, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It says confess, be honest with each other, be transparent with each other and then pray for each other so that you can be healed. But it starts with confession, you know, we like the pray to be healed part, <laughs> but we sometimes skip the confess part. You have to be honest and transparent with each other. I ha you have to share how you're doing that day. You have to share your struggle that week. You have to share what's going on in your life so that it's confessed so that they can pray for you and the Holy Spirit can work in that so that you can be healed and you can grow emotionally so that you can move on from that thing and you can become healthy and grow in that way, that you leave the hang-up behind, that you leave the baggage behind and you start sort of a new future without that baggage because it's been healed, because it's been confessed, it's been prayed for, it's been acknowledged and it's been dealt with and now you can leave it behind and move on. James says, tell your faults to one another, not a priest. He doesn't say confess it to a priest and pray for each other so that you can be healed. And healing comes from admitting our mistakes to one another and getting healed from those mistakes. Secondly, the other way that confession and being honest with each other helps us grow is we get a new foundation to grow on. 
Proverbs 28:13 says, "People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy." If you don't admit your mistakes, you won't grow. If you admit your mistakes, you get a fresh start and a new beginning. Right? You see how that works? People who don't confess don't grow. People who do confess get mercy and a new beginning and a fresh start, right? And so the second way is that we get this new foundation to grow on to help us grow. There's nothing that's happened in your life that God can't use for good. Romans 8.28 says that. But you have to be honest about it. You have to share it with somebody. You have to get it out there where it can be healed and be forgiven and covered by mercy. And then God can use that circumstance and that mistake to help you and to help you grow as you learn from it. If you just keep it buried and you never address it, then God's going to have a hard time using it for good in your life. But if you confess that mistake, if you confess that sin, it helps you grow. It helps the person you confess to grow. It helps you heal from it emotionally. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The love of God never ends. His mercies are new every morning. What an awesome verse. So as we're honest with each other, as we're transparent with each other, as we confess our faults to one another and just tell each other where we're at every day, then what, this is the promise we turn to, that God's mercies are new for us every day and we get a new foundation to build on every day when we're honest and transparent with each, with each other. And so we need to be honest so that we get this new foundation to grow on and we can leave the past behind and start on a new foundation. Thirdly, our truthfulness and confession and honesty with each other, thirdly, it helps us because you get God's power to change. God's power to change when we admit our mistakes to others comes in James 4.10. It says this, and this is amazing. This is really amazing. You have to pause and think about this. I've been going quickly for the sake of time, but just listen to this. Remember when... Gord was up here and he said he's reading the Bible and sometimes it's just like, I'm, I can't get this. <laughs> this is one of those verses. You can read it quickly and not figure it out, but, but listen. When you bow down before the Lord, that means when you humble yourself, when you bow down before the Lord and you admit your dependence upon him, so when you're honest and confess your faults and your mistakes, you bow down and you admit your dependence on him, God will lift you up. God will lift you up and gives you honor. Now, how awesome is that? It does not say when you humble yourself before this righteous God and you admit how weak and how sinful you are and you are transparent with God, it doesn't say he scolds you. It doesn't say he shames you. He doesn't put you down. When you humble yourself before God, he lifts you up. And he gives you honor. Is that not crazy? <laughs> is that not just counterintuitive? Most people's picture of God is, he's going to be angry with me, right? He's going to be disappointed in me. I don't want to go before him with this. I don't want to humble myself before God. Because if I humble myself before God, you know, he's this angry guy who's going to be upset with me because he's so good and I'm so bad. And James says... That when we humble ourselves before God, he will lift you up and show you honor. Wow. So I'm with you, Gord. When I read the Bible, I sometimes, what? <laughs> That's amazing. And so when we are honest with each other, when we admit our mistakes, when we confess to one another and confess to God, then we get God's power to change. He doesn't beat us down. He doesn't shame us. He lifts us up and he gives us honor. 
James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so that means when I'm honest about my weakness, when I'm humble, when I'm humble, I get God's grace. God's grace is the power to change. And so if I want God's grace and gives me the power to grow and to change, then I can change the things in my life. And if I want that, it only comes through humility and humility comes through honesty. And not only that, it says God resists the proud. So if I want to grow, if I want to mature and have spiritual growth and change in my life, I have to admit my mistakes in humility or else I'm resisting, I'm being resisted by God. Now think about that. Is God somebody you want resisting you? Do you think you're going to get anywhere in your spiritual growth and maturity if God is resisting you? Right? Do you think there is a force that's going to counteract the immovable object of God if he's resisting you? And James here says that he resists the proud. And so if we aren't humble, if we aren't honest about our weaknesses, if we're not willing to humble ourselves before God, then basically we're trying to spiritually grow and we're trying to spiritually move in our life against God because he resists the proud. He will put a stop to any growth in your life as long as you're proud. Humility is where growth starts. It comes from humility. And humility comes from confession and being honest and being aware of who we are and not trying to fool anybody. And you're certainly not going to fool God because he already knows. I mean, that's the funny thing about this verse with James when he says, when we humble ourselves, you know, and then God will lift us up and give us honor and we're afraid to go before God because we think, oh, he's going to be disappointed in me. It's like, (laughs) what do you think he doesn't know? God already knows. And so we can go before God in humility knowing that he already knows And not wanting his resistance, but wanting his grace so that we can grow. So if I want grace, if I want to change in my life, I have to admit my mistakes in humility or else I'm being resisted. And so that third way that we show love to each other and that third way that we help each other grow, because this is what it's all about, is how we help each other grow, is by confession and by being honest and coming to each other in humility and coming to God in humility so that we get his power to change our life. Otherwise, our lives won't change and we won't have that power. That power comes from the grace of God, which comes through humility. So three ways in which we need to help each other grow. By loving each other and affirming each other's worth, we need to just love each other and accept each other and then give each other attention and build each other into our lives. We have to love each other. Then we have to pray for each other. Right? We have to go through those scriptures and we have to think about the people in our lives who we want to see grow mature in, in maturity, which is everybody, and be in prayer for each other for their spiritual growth. And then the third way that we grow is that we admit our mistakes to each other. We just have to be honest with each other. We have to confess our mistakes, confess our faults to each other and to God and humble ourselves. And from that humility, we get the power to change and the power to grow. And so that's how we grow together in love and in prayer and in honesty and confession with each other. Let's pray. Father God, this morning the fact is that spiritual maturity is a choice and we need to choose to grow. We need to choose to love each other. We need to choose to accept each other. We need to choose to affirm each other. We need to invite each other into our lives and uh, interact with each other. We need to pray for each other more. And Father, we need to be Uh, honest with each other and confess our mistakes and we can basically put more in front of all of those things we need to be more loving and do more prayer and be more confession and more honest and more transparent and that's not to say that we don't do it lord i already bragged on this church and i brag on them again before you 
that there's so much growth going on here, Lord, and there's good things happening, and they love this community, and they love each other. So, Lord, there's, there's lots of good going on, but we are not satisfied with just a little. We're, we want it all. We want all of you. We want all of your Holy Spirit. We want all of the growth in our life. And so, Lord, we just keep praying that we would love more, that we would pray more, that we would be more honest and more transparent. You are so good to us, God. Uh, open up our hearts and, and open up our minds that we would learn through this 40 days in our small groups to get outside our comfort zone, uh, to accept the love of others, to he- really hear each other's lives and stories, to, to know each other well, to pray for each other and to care for each other. We all want it, Lord. We all want affirmation. We want those, those close friends that care for us and help us grow. So I pray that that would take place over this 40 days. And Lord, I pray that we would each pray even right now that we would have that desire. I pray that in every heart right now, people would be praying that they want to grow spiritually, that they want to grow closer to you, that they have tried doing it on their own and it doesn't work, that they've tried doing it without you and it doesn't work. Father, that everybody has to come to that conclusion that life is not going to work without you and life is not going to work on on their own, that it has to happen through your son Jesus and the Holy Spirit, through your word, and then through the community this church or another church of one small group or the next one. But at some point, they have to just get involved and and share life. And so, Father, I pray that that would take place in this 40 days. We love you, Lord. We love what you're doing. Just keep doing more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.